All right, good morning. Good morning. Okay, well, today um, we're going to be having our final message in our series on the elementary principles, uh, principles of Christ. And just to give you a quick recap, as I typically do, Hebrews 6, 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. That was the first subject we covered. Of the doctrine of baptisms, that was the second subject. Of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and today we'll be talking about, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So it's been a blessing to uh, go through these subject matters with you, and as I have discussed, you know, really, uh, these, these five principles... Um, are really just different elements that constitute what is the gospel and what is the implication and the effect of the gospel. And so, of course, you know, the gospel is, is pretty empty if there's no judgment to flee and there's no resurrection to hope for. And uh, so that's what we've been talking about last week. That's what we're going to continue talking about this week. And we're going to be looking a little bit more at the details, the specifics of what does this judgment in the resurrection look like? Amen? So let's pray real quick. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here at this church, Lord God. I thank you for uh, your word that you revealed to us, Father God, that you did not leave us as orphans, Father. You don't leave us in the dark, wondering and guessing and groping, but Lord, you're near to us. You've spoken and you continue to speak to this day. So Jesus, we just humble ourselves before you. Lord God, we acknowledge that you are the pastor of this church, that you are the king of this kingdom, Lord. So we ask that as we open your word, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word with a joyful obedience. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So as we talk about eternal judgment, now this is, this is these are all important subjects. But this one has become increasingly more important. You know, I hear all the time um, as I'm talking to people, even when I first went to Shriner University, it's a Presbyterian university, or it's at least affiliated as a Presbyterian university. And so, you know, you figure, okay, well, a lot of these kids are probably Christian. You know, they probably have a, a, a background in church. They probably have a desire to know the Lord. And uh, I started walking around. I started meeting up with some of the Presbyterian students that were there, that were part of the campus, the official campus ministry of Shriner. And I just started asking questions. And one of the questions I would ask is, well, hey, uh, do you think everybody goes to heaven? And the students, the, the, the Christian students, the Presbyterian students there, um, who are affiliated with the campus ministry said, well, yeah. Of course, almost unanimously. Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. Everybody goes to heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Why do, you, why do you think that? Oh, well, because, you know, God is love. He loves us. And uh, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't send people there. Oh, okay. Um, what, what verses is that based on? Oh, well, I mean, I don't know. But, you know, God is love. And, oh, okay, oh, okay, okay. Well, hey, actually... I've got some verses that come to mind. Do you mind if I read you a few? Oh, well, yeah, sure. And I'd read through some verses and their whole expression would change. And they would look confused and sometimes offended. 
And none of those students liked me after that, by the way. Um, I, don't, I mean, I was very nice about it. I don't know. Um, I actually was just sitting at, at a PAX a week or two ago. Um, there was a, a lady who's trying to get into graphic design, and she found my, uh, my, my website for doing design, and she had some questions. And so, um, anyways, I went, I went to meet her there at PAX, and right next to me was a, a former student who I was always very nice to, and she was always pretty nice to me, and walked in and said, hey. She just <laughs> didn't even look. I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's, that was my response a lot of times. So, okay, anyways, so this is very important. This is very, very important, okay, because even in the church today, um, there's an idea that there is, there's no judgment, right? The Sadducees in Jesus' day, they didn't believe there was an afterlife, and so Pastor Mark brings this up quite often that, hey, if there's no afterlife, if there's no judgment, then there's no accountability. If there's no accountability, what does it matter? Right? As Paul said in our message last week, he says, well, hey, if, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, man, we suck. Like, we might as well just eat it up and drink it up and move on. But no, there is a judgment. There is a day coming where we are all going to have to stand before God. And in that day, there will be consequence, there will be a decision one way or other. So I want to I overlap a little bit from last week um, and take a look at what, is, what does that look like? What's the context here? So let's start in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. Paul writes, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are in Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he, being God the Father, who put all things under him, being Christ, is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So I want to talk to you today about what does that look like? What does that look like the end of the age where Christ delivers the kingdom to God, where all authority and power is ended. And we're going we're gonna to answer a couple of questions, okay? A couple of questions like, um, what does the judgment look like? Are we going to be judged by our works? Um, what happens to those who are unbelieving, okay, in that day? And, um, and what about, and this is a very common question, what about those who never heard? about Jesus. Anybody ever wondered that? What about those who've like lived in some village, you know, in like Tibet and have never heard the name of Jesus? What happens to them? Anybody ever had that question? No? Okay. A couple people. I get that question a lot. Well, guess what? The Bible does give us an answer. So what I want to do is I want us to start in Revelation 19. And we're going to start in verse 6. And I want to give you a little bit of background about what, what we're about to jump into, okay? So in the book of Revelation, there are some events that unfold. The Lord God, he, he, the, he has brought all of history to the end of the age. 
and he is beginning to pour out judgment upon the earth for its rebellion, for its wickedness, okay? And there, if you read the book of Revelation, there are uh, the seven trumpets, and then there are the seven, I'm sorry, wait, seven seals, there we go, I knew, then the seven trumpets, then the seven bowls. There we go. I had to get that in order in my head. Thank you. And in each series of these judgments on the earth, the judgment gets worse and worse and worse until basically like, man, like the, the world is dang near obliterated um, by the judge. And it even says that they acknowledge that this is the judgment of God and that the people still refuse to repent, which is pretty hardcore. And so at the end of this, the Antichrist who is there, he's very present during this time. He stirs up all the nations, all the armies of the nations of the world, and they all, uh, the, the Euphrates rivers dried up and they all march across the landmass and they surround Israel. So I want you to have this picture in your mind. Here's little old Israel, which is like this big compared to most other places on the earth. And all the, the nations of the world are surrounded it, are surrounding and are just ready to wipe it off the, the face of the, you know, of the earth. Just wipe them out. And it's at that moment that Christ returns with all his saints and begins to deal and begin to, begins to judge and rule over this earth. So I want you just to read with me here. Revelation 19, starting in verse six. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint. Now, when you're reading the scriptures, observing and paying attention to detail is very important, okay? To just, what am I reading? And so I want you to notice the description here that his people, his bride, are arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. It's gonna come back here in just a moment. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. This is John falling at the feet of this angel. And he said to me, whoa, <laughs> that's my addition, whoa. See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I saw heaven open to behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. This is Christ coming again. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Okay, let's just pause there for a second. Let's just digest that together. Um, So... When we talk about, you know, Jesus, meek and mild, this is my go-to, okay? God t- was t- it takes it very personally as the Antichrist and as the nations are coming against his people. He takes that very personally. And it says in that description there that he is coming against the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the armies who were there to wage war against him. They were there to, to wipe out, it. no, they were there to wage war against him. So God himself took that personally. And so what we see happen is right at that moment, Jesus returns and it says that what all the saints, all those clothed in white, the righteous acts of the saints are coming back with him. And so this is the first resurrection. We're actually gonna see there are three resurrections um, here in the book of Revelation. And uh, this is the first one. And so all of the saints, all of the ages, you and I, will be coming back with Christ, and he's going to simply speak and wipe out the armies of the world. Boom. Not even a competition. Okay? He's going to take the, the beast and the false prophet, going to throw them into the lake of fire. They're going to be the first ones there, get it all to themselves for a little while. Um, and he is going to establish rule and reign on this earth, and I'm, we're about to read this, for a thousand years. Okay? for a thousand years on this earth with the saints. Now, there's, there's an important um, word that we need to learn. Uh, there's the millennial, which means, what, a thousand years. So there's a word, ah, millennialism. <laughs> Everybody say that, ah, millennialism. Okay, it means ah, like atheist, no, millennium. So there is a teaching out there that what we're about to read it's ridiculous when you read this with me. There is, there is a belief that, that Jesus is not going to reign on the earth for a thousand years. That's, it's all figurative. You know, the book of Revelation is happening right now, uh, which never made sense to me if you've ever read it. But I want you to notice that what we're about to read, it says like six times a thousand years. A thousand years. Oh, by the way, he was there for a thousand years. Oh, and guess what? After the a thousand years. Um, so I'm just bringing some things to light to you as we go along. <clears throat> okay, so he demolishes the armies, the, the birds feed on their flesh. There you go, Jesus meek and mild, right? And in Revelation 20, it starts off and it says this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. 
But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Now listen to this. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Well, who is the they? The saints. The only other people in the story so far is the saints that came back with Jesus. So Jesus comes, he establishes his rule on earth, he wipes out his enemy, he throws Satan into a bottomless pit, chains him up, and his, he gives thrones for his saints, which is us. There is not like, oh, Saint Mary, Satan. No, anybody who is in Christ Jesus is a saint, a sanctified person. Um, so we as saints will be ruling with Christ on this earth for that, that time. And it says, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who were beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And so we see that, and I'm not going to go too far in this, but there seems to be this difference where the saints of Christ come back with him, but then... Uh, the, the believers who are there during the time of the, of the tribulation, who are martyred for their faith, that they're kind of this special group. They're kind of segmented um, in this first resurrection, um, which is important for a lot of, a lot of arguments that we're not going to get into. But So they're resurrected. They, they live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. And it says, blessed and holy is he who is part of the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Okay. Starting in verse seven. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sea or sand of the sea They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay, so let me pause again. So what has happened? What has happened is um, all of those who have entrusted themselves to Jesus from even the Old Testament saints, everyone who had ever had faith in the Messiah is resurrected and is ruling on this earth with Christ. And then there are still people who have not died, who don't have resurrection bodies, who are living on this earth. And after, and, and Jesus is ruling over them and physically, you know, and after a thousand years, Satan is released. And even though, think about this, for a thousand years, the resurrected Jesus and all the resurrected saints are ruling on this earth. They see him face to face. It even talks about that in the end of Ezekiel, what's gonna happen if they do and don't do certain things during that time. And still, they rebel against him again. That's crazy. The whole Bible from beginning to end, the earth is perfect, we rebel. Okay, now there's no law, we rebel. He wipes everybody out. It starts over with Noah. We rebel. He gives the law. We rebel. Jesus comes, gives his own blood and his spirit to indwell us so that we can walk in the power of God here on earth. We rebel. And Jesus comes back physically, reigns on the earth in perfect power. We rebel. And then Jesus says, 
No more rebellion. And at one last fell swoop, he wipes out the enemies at the end of the thousand year reign. And then he is going to establish a new heaven and a new earth that is free of any sin, free of any rebellion, free of any wickedness. Everybody with me? So there's one more word I want you to learn. The first word was ah, millennialism. If y'all can say that. The second word, word is um, annihilationist. Everybody say annihilationist. Okay, so there is one view of, of judgment that there is no judgment. Well, that's kind of hard to, deal, to, to, to believe if we believe the scriptures and it says, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That kind of sounds like judgment to me. Anybody disagree with that statement? Oh, okay. Well, I was about to say, woo! It has to be worse. Is there an ejector seat over there? Um, there's another view called the annihilationist view, annihilation to destroy, which is, oh, well, you know, God is humane. He's not going to punish people forever. So hell is really, you get thrown into, you know, the lake of fire and you just, like a little smoke ball, right? And you just disappear into nothingness. Honestly, dog, I'll take that <laughs> over, over the, uh, you burn forever. But again, uh, what accountability is there really in that? Rather, you, you close your eyes forever and never open them again, or you, you know, fall into a fire that you don't even feel because you're burnt up. Anyways, there's really not much of a difference, okay? But again, if we believe that the scriptures are true and authentic, which they are, we have to understand that the scripture answers all of these questions, Okay? So this isn't my opinion, this isn't what Darren said, this is what the Word of God says. It says here, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet, who were put in there a thousand years, are, as in still are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Not for a moment, not to a pfft, but forever and ever. We have to understand that all of us, every single person in this room, every person in this world, we are all guilty before God in our sin. We, have all, we are all unprofitable servants. We are all liars and thieves and adulterers and idolaters. We have all gone our own way. We have all blasphemed the Lord with our words and with our lives. And it's only by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ who gave himself freely for us that salvation is paid. And it's not something we're due. It's not something God owes us. The Lord owes us nothing. But in his grace and love and mercy, it's been offered as a free gift so that everyone who believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But those who in the view of God's great mercy, in the view of God's sacrificing his only begotten son in love towards those who hated and rebelled against him, in view of that truth, for those who continue to rebel against God and deny the work of his son, they will stand before God and they will have to be held accountable and all they'll, be, all they'll have to do is answer for their sins. And we know that if we were arrested and we were thrown before a judge, the judge does not care about anything in that mo moment other than what law did you break and what is the punishment. He doesn't care about how good you were the day before he doesn't really care about, you know, how much money you had, how much money. You, he just, did you break the law and what is the punishment? And when we stand before God, if it is not the grace and the free salvation through Jesus, 
that we have accepted, we will have to answer for every moment, every word, every act of disobedience and selfishness. And the only thing that we can expect is since we have sinned against a perfect and eternal, everlasting God, that we will have a eternal and everlasting debt to pay. There's no end to the debt because there's no end to the offense. Does that make sense? And so the reality of hell is forever. Verse 11, so what does this judgment really look like? So far, the only people in in hell are the Antichrist, the beast, and now Satan. Well, in verse 11, it says, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now pause, I want you to remember that when Jesus came back, all of those who had faith in Christ were already resurrected, right? So the people who are in this resurrection standing before this throne are who? Everyone else. Everyone who did not place their trust in Christ. So the first resurrection is past. Was there any, you know... Judgment being poured out, any white throne for those saints who came back with Jesus? Everybody do this. I'm shaking my head for those who are listening to this on the, on the online series. Okay. <laughs> Verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his work. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That is the judgment of God. The Bible says for those of us who believe, who surrender our lives to Jesus, in Ephesians, it says, for by grace, by, by the favor of God, you have been saved. This is not of yourself, lest anyone could, can boast. It's a gift of God. Okay? But for everyone else, our judgment, or their judgment will be by their works. And the only judgment that we will ever face, even if, if we called ourselves Christians, but we said, oh, no, I think I'm going to be judged by my works, and I've got to outweigh the good and the bad. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. The only judgment that your works will ever bring you is condemnation. And so I want to tie this back in just briefly to Matthew 3, verses 10 through 12. Um, as we were going through the doctrine of baptisms, I, I told you that there were three baptisms, right? There was the baptism of water unto repentance, which is what we do when we get saved a clear conscience before God. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is where the Spirit of God fills us in the moment that we believe. It's it's that new life that allows us to to hear and to obey the voice of God. And then it says, there's a baptism of fire. And it says, starting in verse 10, now, even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed, this is John the Baptist, baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit 
and fire. Now this last verse is a parallel of what he just said. Holy Spirit and fire. I indeed baptize, or next, I'm sorry, go to verse. Oh yes, thank you. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So fire is used three times in those two verses, three verses, and it's bad every time, okay? And so again, there's a very prominent teaching, the baptism of the, Holy, of the fire, baptism of fire, and it's kind of synonymous with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is he then saying Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit? No, that's not what he's saying. When they, when they bring in the harvest, they beat out the grain, and they have a, a winnowing fan that blows through the air because the fruit, the good product of that harvest is the wheat. And that's what we're referred to as in Christ, the wheat, the fruitfulness of Jesus. And they're gathered up into the barn. But then the chaff, the unprofitable part that, that comes with it is blown out and it's cast into the fire to be burned. Because why? It's unprofitable. And so what he's saying is the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of fire is the direct parallel between the wheat and the chaff. And the ba- baptism means, anybody remember? It means submerged. And so when we talk about the baptism of fire, when we talk about the chaff being thrown in to the unquenchable fire, what is he referring to? He's referring to the same thing he says here in the book of Revelation. That anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And in Isaiah 66, verses 22 through 24, this is again about the eternal kingdom. It says, for as the new heavens and new earth, which I shall make, shall make <clears throat> remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh will come to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm does not die. That means they're always being eaten and never eaten up. And their fire is not quenched. They're always burning and never perishing. And they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. That is what the scripture says about the eternal judgment that awaits us outside of Christ. Now, this would normally be a really good stopping point, but I want to just answer a couple of questions um, before, we, before we end here. What about those who have never heard? What about them? Is there a second chance? Is there an opportunity? Is there a grace? It's a very common question. I want to, and I'm gonna prove this from the scripture, but I want you to consider the fact that we all know there's a God. Everybody knows there's a God. I tell people this when I'm witnessing to them. The Lord told me to tell them this one time, so I do. Everyone knows there's a God. They either don't care who he is or they just don't know which one they should choose, but they all know there is a God. And in our natural state, even though we know he's there, we are all in rebellion to him. And the scriptures say in Romans 1, starting in verse 18, that they suppress the truth of God. They suppress it in unrighteousness. That means they know it's there and they put it somewhere where they don't have to deal with it. And so in Romans 1.20, it says this. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The scriptures say that all men in every place, because of how God has presented himself in creation, in the stars, in the trees, in our life, in conception, in birth, we see the glory and the fingerprints of God. And we suppress that truth in unrighteousness. It's only by the grace of God that we have been granted faith to believe in the Lord. It's because he called us, not because we were wiser than the unbelievers. Don't get that twisted. The Lord was gracious and merciful on us to call us in. But everyone knows there is no such thing as an atheist. Agnostic? Okay. I'll give you that. Atheist? No. I tell people that. Oh, well, I'm an atheist. No, you're not. You know there's a God just like everyone else. You just either don't care, don't know who he is. Well, yeah, you're right, but almost 100% of the time. I've never had anybody argue with me that, ever. No such thing as atheists. So, the judgment is once and for all. There's no purgatory. There's no waiting room. There's no second chances. There is life in Christ or death in sin. Those are the only two options. The punishment for, for us rejecting Christ is an eternal punishment. It's not one and done. It's not God loves all. He does. But he's also a good and perfect judge. And there is no excuse. All men, all men understand. But for us, as the Lord brings in his new creation, after this white throne judgment, he has promised us in Christ that we will be with him forever, that we will be rewarded. We will see him face to face, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And anything wicked, anything deceiving, any sin will no longer exist. So I want to end with this passage from Revelation 22, 1 through 5. And it says, And this angel showed me, John, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Amen. All right, guys, if y'all have any questions about anything pertaining to this, feel free to come and and grab me afterwards. I'd love to answer. Um, I tried to answer all the questions ahead of time, but uh, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we thank you for a time of fellowship and a time of teaching, Lord, to seriously just take a look at your word and to see what you have presented to us as the truth and the reality of the days to come. And Lord, these days are coming soon. And so I pray for everyone in this room, myself included, that you would humble our hearts, Father. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would pour out a spirit of repentance, that if there's anybody in this room who they know their heart is not right with the Lord, if there's anyone here who has not repented, and cast himself on the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray 
that you would cause them to cry out right now for the free forgiveness that is in your name, Jesus. I pray that we would all as a body be surrendered fully and day after day you would continue to pull the weeds of pride, selfishness, and selfish ambitions out of our hearts. So Lord, we honor you, we thank you, Father, in Jesus' mighty name, amen.